0: War and Peace, Book 11, Chapter 20. Read for LibriVox.org by Harry Inc. Meanwhile Moscow was empty. There were still people in it. Perhaps a fiftieth part of its former inhabitants had remained, but it was empty. It was empty in the sense that a dying, queenless hive is empty. In a queenless hive no life is left, though, to a superficial glance, it seems as much alive as other hives. The bees circle around a queenless hive in the hot beams of the midday sun as gaily as around the living hives. From a distance it smells of honey, like the others, and bees fly in and out in the same way. But one only has to observe that hive to realise that there is no longer any life in it. The bees do not fly in the same way. The smell and the sound that meet the beekeeper are not the same. To the beekeeper's tap on the wall of the sick hive, instead of the former instant unanimous humming of tens of thousands of bees with their abdomens threateningly compressed, and producing by the rapid vibration of their wings an aerial living sound, the only reply is a disconnected buzzing from different parts of the deserted hive. From the alighting board instead of the former spirituous fragrant smell of honey and venom and the warm whiffs of crowded life come an odour of emptiness and decay, mingling with the smells of honey. There are no longer sentinels sounding alarm with their abdomens raised and ready to die in defence of the hive. There is no longer the measured quiet sound of throbbing activity like the sound of boiling water, but diverse discordant sounds of disorder. In and out of the hive long black robber bees, smeared with honey, fly timidly and shiftily. They do not sting, but they crawl away from danger. Formerly, only bees laden with honey flew into the hive, and they flew out empty. Now they fly out laden. The beekeeper opens the lower part of the hive and peers in. Instead of black, glossy bees, tamed by toil, clinging to one another's legs and drawing out the wax, with a ceaseless hum of labour that used to hang in long clusters down to the floor of the hive, Drowsy, shriveled bees crawl about separately in various directions on the floor and the walls of the hive. Instead of a neatly glued floor swept by the bees with the fanning of their wings, there is a floor littered with bits of wax, excrement, dying bees scarcely moving their legs, and dead ones that have not been cleared away. The beekeeper opens the upper part of the hive and examines the super, Instead of serried rows of bees sealing up every gap in the combs and keeping the brood warm, he sees the skilful complex structures of the combs, but no longer in their former state of purity. All is neglected and foul. Black robber bees are swiftly and stealthily prowling about the combs, and the short home bees, shriveled and listless as if they were old, creep slowly about without trying to hinder the robbers, having lost all motive and all sense of life. Drones, bumblebees, wasps and butterflies knock awkwardly against the wall of the hive in their flight. Here and there, among the cells containing dead brood and honey, an angry buzzing can sometimes be heard. Here and there a couple of bees, by force of habit and custom cleaning out the brood cells, with efforts beyond their strength laboriously drag away a dead bee or a bumblebee without knowing why they do it. In another corner two old bees are languidly fighting or cleaning themselves or feeding one another without themselves knowing whether they do it with a friendly or hostile intent. In a third place, a crowd of bees, crushing one another, attack some victim and fight and smother it, and the victim, enfeebled or killed, drops from above slowly and lightly as a feather among the heap of corpses. The keeper opens the two center partitions to examine the brood cells. In place of the former close, dark circles formed by thousands of bees, sitting back to back and guarding the high mystery of generation, he sees hundreds of dull, listless and sleeping shells of bees. They have almost all died unawares, sitting in the sanctuary they had guarded and which is now no more. They reek of decay and death. Only a few of them still move, rise, and feebly fly to settle on the enemy's hand, lacking the spirit to die stinging him. The rest are dead and fall as lightly as fish scales. The beekeeper closes the hive, chalks a mark on it, and when he has time tears out its contents and burns it clean. So, in the same way, Moscow was empty when Napoleon, weary, uneasy, and morose, paced up and down in front of the Kamakozleski rampart, awaiting what, to his mind, was a necessary, if but formal, observance of the proprieties, a deputation. In various corners of Moscow there still remained a few people aimlessly moving about, but following their old habits and hardly aware of what they were doing. When, with due circumspection, Napoleon was informed that Moscow was empty, he looked angrily at his informant, turned away, and silently continued to walk to and fro. "'Make courage,' he said. He took his seat beside the aide-de-camp on duty, and drove into the suburb. Moscow is deserted, he said to himself. What an incredible event! He did not drive into the town, but put up at an inn in the Dorogomilov suburb. The coup de théâtre had not come off. End of chapter 20 Recording by Harry Ink, Melbourne, Australia